The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am thrilled that you chose to be a part of what God is doing. So wherever you're at, I know that the Lord has something to speak to you. We are jumping back into the Gospel of Luke after a four-week break. We're at the end of chapter 16, so if you've got a Bible and want to turn there, Luke 16, 19 through 31. It's a bunch of verses to read, uh, but really it's kind of the end of a section, a very long section. It's lasted a few chapters where Jesus is engaged with these Pharisees, and the Pharisees are the religious leaders of the day. They're, they're the high and mighty. They kind of lord over the area of Judea that Jesus is working in right now. And Jesus and the Pharisees have never gotten along. And the Pharisees have called Jesus out for who he hangs out with, these tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. That's who Jesus chose to associate with. They didn't like that. And so Jesus has been kind of punching back in the form of parables. He's been sharing stories uh, about different things to teach lessons to these Pharisees. They need to know the truth, but they're not going to learn it from the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. That They're just not going to learn it from him. So he's just kind of sneaking in the truth through these stories. And we see this final parable. It's about two men, one named Lazarus and another we just know is a rich man. And in this parable, many have tried to say this is a true story. Because if, if you've noticed, and I hadn't noticed this before, when Jesus uses parables, he never gives the characters names. Never. It's just this man, this man was doing this, so on and so forth. But the fact that he uses Lazarus has made something, this is a true story. Uh, I don't think that's at all possible just because of the context. Now, it is likely that Jesus names this man Lazarus because the name Lazarus is so powerful. It means God helps. Okay? And the Pharisees would have gotten that. They would have understood, okay, Jesus is naming this person, God helps. I, I don't know why he's doing that, but that it would have stood out to them in this story. Now, the purpose of the story is very simple. The Pharisees have an unwillingness to submit to the law of God, to the law of the prophets. They teach it, they preach it, but Jesus knows they're hypocrites. They don't practice what they preach. And the purpose of this parable is to show them their hypocrisy. And boy, does Jesus drum up a doozy of a story. He hopes to scare them straight, to help them see the air of using their wealth and their power to lord over people while forsaking the law of God. I mean, that sounds horrible, but these are the religious elite, and they use their power, their prestige, They use that, their money, to lord over people, all while teaching the law of God, but not following it themselves. And so here's where the story begins. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and he lived in luxury every single day. The description here is of someone who is absolutely the best of the best, and he wanted others to know it. Purple, fine linen, luxurious things, luxurious things. In the first century, these were symbols of extreme wealth and lavish living. We have the same symbols in our world today. They come in the form of brand names, certain cars, 
are just distinguished as lavish and luxury. Certain appliances in your home let people know that's the top of the line. That, that's as good as it gets. Certain clothing has name brands on it that you go, oh, I know that costs a lot. That person must be important. They must be special. We, we have the same thing. In the first century, it was this purple and fine linen, and this man had it all. In contrast, Luke chapter 16, verses 20 and 21, at this man's gate was laid, notice, was laid, not was laying, was laid, meaning this crippled man was laid there. This man was laid, a beggar named Lazarus. He was covered with sores, and he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The fact, the fact that this man was laid there means he's crippled. He's placed there each day by his friends in hopes that people from this rich neighborhood might take pity on him and, and, and throw him a bone, literally throw him some food or, or some money instead of being dressed in fine linen and purple. He's dressed in open sores. You, you see the contrast there. He doesn't have enough clothing to cover the open wounds on his body. Instead of fine foods, he dreams of grabbing some of the crumbs off the floor around the rich man's table. And just to kind of round the picture off, there's dogs that lick, or it could be translate nip, at his open sores. He can't fend them off, and they come up and they get at him. It's really a disgusting picture, but it's a picture that's painted well to see the contrast of these two men, the opposing spectrums of life here on this earth. Those that have and those that have not those that are successful, and those that have seemingly failed. We, we have those spectrums as well. And it's no different. And Jesus is trying to paint the picture here. And then comes the same day where we have two deaths. Both the men from this parable die. And once again, we have a big contrast, but you may not see it immediately. Luke chapter 16, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died. And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now, you might think, that's special, that's beautiful. But in reality, you have to hear it through a first century lens. No one buried him. No one was there to prepare his body. No one mourned his death. The only ones that cared were the angels that took him up into paradise. In contrast, the rich man also died and was buried now, that seems like the lesser of the two, but in the first century, no. That means people came and mourned him. They prepared his body for burial. He was probably placed in a very ornate tomb. So even in death, people would know how important he really was. The rich man was given a name by the early church. When I say the early church, like within the first 150 years of the church, they had heard this parable and they gave this man a name because Lazarus' name, they gave the rich man a name. They called him Dives, which simply means the rich man. We might read a story and be like, we'll, we'll call that unnamed man Bougie. That, that's what we would call him. So they call him Dives. This man was mourned and properly buried. But that's not the only contrast. What happens next we will see that there's a contrast that happens in that next stage of the afterlife. And we have to pause here. We have to pause because what we're going to talk about in the next few verses begs explanation. But there's a caution that comes with this explanation. We are reading a parable. 
meaning there is a truth and there are sub-truths that we can glean from it. But we are going to hear a story about what comes next when, when someone has breathed their last breath, what they experience. And for many, we want to know, what does that look like? When I breathe my last breath, what, what is, am I going to see a bright light? Am I going to be immediately in heaven? Is, am I going to be asleep? What, what's going to happen as soon, as soon as I die? What, what happens? We want to know that. And this is a story about what happens next. But we have to be very, very careful. Because what happens next is not necessarily Jesus teaching us literally what happens. He's trying to teach a lesson to the Pharisees. So we can't assume that exactly what is spoken in the next few verses is what happens. So I think, I think we need to go into this carefully. So that's my warning, and we'll peel off even here in a few more moments and, and do some more explanation. But Luke chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. Okay, so both men have just died. Lazarus carried up by the angels, dives, he's buried, dives in Hades, verse 23, where he was tormented. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away. Now we would say God or Jesus. But remember to the Pharisees, they're children of Abraham. This is an identifier to say he is in the presence of Abraham. He's in Abraham's clearly long gone. So wherever Abraham went when he died, this man can now look up, not up into heaven, but across the way and see Abraham. He looked and he saw Abraham far away with Lo and behold, Lazarus right there by his side. It's important. Verse 24. So Dives calls to him, Father Abraham, hey, have pity on me. And if you wouldn't mind, send Lazarus. I recognize him. He's the guy from my gate. Send Lazarus over here to just to dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Help. Hades is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew Sheol. Both words mean the abode of the dead, the house of the dead, where the dead go to live. It's kind of like a holding place while the dead await their final reward or punishment. In this place, in this Hades, Dives is tormented. But he looks up and across the way and he sees Lazarus, the guy from the gate, and he says, can you come help me? Please, can you come help me? This makes us think what happens when we die. And for some, you're thinking, I don't want to go where Dives is. Not really sure where Lazarus is. So what does this all mean? Let's take a quick sidebar and look at the Bible. Okay, that's always a good idea. When we don't know, let's go to the Bible. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks about death and what happens when we die. And he seems to use one specific phrase, soul sleep or sleep, falling asleep. 1 Thessalonians 4.14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So then we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. 1 Corinthians 15.16-18. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. If upon Jesus' return, those who have died are not raised to life with Jesus, then Jesus didn't conquer death either. Verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. If Jesus doesn't conquer death, if the resurrection isn't real, then your sins have not been paid for. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
Fallen asleep, fallen asleep, fallen asleep. You see that. This has caused many to believe that when you perish, you close your eyes and you wake up just like you would any morning, having however many years gone by, centuries, millennia, whatever it is, you wake up when Jesus returns and you're like, I'm going to heaven. You just, you just sleep. You don't know how long it's been. It's restful. It's good. It's peaceful. It's kind. That's wonderful. That's what Paul seems to prescribe happens when we die. I don't necessarily buy into that. I think Paul is using a metaphor for death by saying falling asleep because he knows that it's not death. It's not permanent. So he says falling asleep. I don't think he's literally talking about you just sleep for however long until Jesus returns. Why? Because of what Jesus himself says. Jesus in Luke 23, verse 44, looks to the robber on his left as he's being crucified and says this. Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is important because it makes me believe from the mouth of Jesus that when we die, we go to be with him in a place he calls paradise, those who are in faith. Our passage here refers to a place called Hades, the abode of the dead, a holding place. But it also speaks to a division, a chasm. We'll get to that here in just a moment. But it speaks to this chasm that separates those who have died in faith and those who have died without faith. Once again, we'll unpack that. If you're wondering how in the Middle Ages a term called purgatory came to be used, this is why. It's this passage right here. And the Catholic Church made a ton of money off of loved ones who went to them after their father died and said, you know he wasn't a good man, but we believe that if you pay this amount of money, we can, we can get him from this side of purgatory to this side. We can, we can transfer him over, but it's going to cost you. It's not final yet. It's not final. And the Catholic Church was really wise. They, uh, they controlled the Bible so no one could go and read and see that that really isn't possible. But what are the truths? What are the, tr- the truths that we know for sure when someone dies? Here's the number one truth that we know for certain. Every person's soul lives on somewhere. We know that for a truth. We know for certain There will be a waiting period until Christ's return. So those who have died before are waiting. Everyone who dies will wait for a period of time except for those who are living when Christ returns. There will be a waiting period. Now, that period ends when Jesus returns and he sets up a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 20 talks about that primarily. Revelation 20 verses 1 and 2. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Okay? Another term now for paradise. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I saw the culmination. I saw the end. I saw the final, final resting place. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in those books. The sea gave up the dead and those who were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. So once again, we have the sea, then we have Hades, paradise, Hades. We have this being separated here in John's dream, his vision. And each person was judged according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades, I'm sorry, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. You might refer to that as hell. Here's all I know so far. Your loved ones who died in Christ are with him. If they had faith in him, they are in his presence now. Where is that at? Could be in a place called paradise. Could be in the sea. Could be in Hades. Because apparently Lazarus is in Hades. Could be heaven already. I, I, I don't know. You can draw your own conclusions. You can use whatever language you want. But those who die in Christ are with him now. How do I know? Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Verse 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. For those of you who watched loved ones age and suffer, for those of you who lost loved ones way too young due to sickness and disease or tragedy, where they are is a place with God where there is no more sadness, where there is no more mourning, where there is no more crying, where there is no more death. They're good. They're good, those who died in Christ. And there's a comfort and a peace, and, and that's why the Bible says that we mourn, but we mourn not like those who are without hope. Because we know where our loved ones are. We'll finish the story now. Luke chapter 16, verses 25 and 26. But Abraham replied, talking back to Dives, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus, he received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. It's divided by one thing. Your faithful obedience to the Lord while you lived on this earth. Dives, you chose how to live your life. You passed this man nearly every day and did nothing to help. You lorded over him. You chose to be your own God. Just like you didn't help him, now he can't help you. Now, it's not impossible to be rich and to be in paradise, but those who are affluent and who have a great life now better be aware Better take notice of their need for God and better look at the way they live their life. Lazarus had nothing but faith. 
He laid crippled in the street and dogs nipped at his sores. He had nothing, but now he will reap his reward. There's no switching places, no take backs, no redos. When you breathe your last, your fate is sealed. Realizing this, Dives makes a very gracious request. It's too late for me. I messed up. I took my reward here on this earth. I lorded over people. I get it. This is my punishment. But I've got some people back down on earth that probably need to hear this. Verses 27 through 31. He answered, And I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, hey, they should know. They should be aware. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Let your brothers listen to what we would say, the word of God, the story of Jesus. Let let them listen to what's right in front of them. No, Father Abraham, he said. No, they won't. They won't do that. But if someone who comes from the dead goes to them, then they'll repent. If Lazarus, who they know died, shows up on their doorstep, knocks and says, hey guys, get your life right, they'll listen. Jesus slams the Pharisees with verse 31 and finishes the parable. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. An obvious foreshadowing of Jesus' resurrection. To these Pharisees, these wealthy, affluent, powerful men who have their reward now, he says, even if someone came back from the dead, your five brothers wouldn't listen. And those brothers are the Pharisees. Dives is the Pharisees. And Jesus concludes his parable. It would be easy to think that the main point of this passage, this parable, is to make sure that you're ready in your faith for death or to make sure that your loved ones are ready. And those are absolutely, absolutely sub-points of this parable. You need to be ready. You need to make sure now that your loved ones are ready because you won't have a chance once you're gone to come back and go, oh man, we missed it. We missed it. But actually, the main point of this parable is for the Pharisee, for the religious elite who thinks that God owes them something, for the one who is lavishly walking through this life, for the one who thinks that it's pretty sweet and they have all they need. If that sounds familiar to you, just like the Pharisees in the first century, this parable is meant to wake you up and to help you realize a few things. These are all the words of Jesus recorded by John, the gospel writer. I'm just going to fly through them. If you want to look on the screen, the the address will be there, but I, I just want you to hear them in order. This is Jesus speaking in all these passages. You are my friends if you do what I command you. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and will disclose myself to him. If you keep my commandments, 
you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Jesus knew that the Pharisees thought they were good. They thought they were good with God. But the problem was they were failing to keep God's commands. And God's commands can can be boiled down to two. Jesus says that himself. They failed to first and foremost love God. Instead, they loved their money and their power much more than they loved God. They loved themselves much more than they loved God. They failed to keep the commandments. And the second commandment, love others, especially the least of these. We've seen this in the previous passages. They threw extravagant parties to impress their rich friends, but they wouldn't give a few pennies to the beggar on the street. They wouldn't give their life away. They failed to see the need around them and respond, thus fulfilling the law, thus keeping God's commandments, thus stepping into a relationship and the love of the Father. They thought they had it because they were special. They thought they had it because they were clearly blessed. But they didn't because they failed to love God and love others. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these Pharisees to see. For some, for some of you, You're denying God right now to make sure and have your reward. And dives, he got his reward on this earth. He was rich beyond belief. He was powerful in the flu. I mean, everyone wanted to know him. You got Lazarus out there just wretched, abysmal, suffering every day. He got no reward here. But because he had nothing else, he had God. He loved God. He kept his commandments. He he had to. In in that regard, he was rewarded. Denying God now to receive your reward now, that's the fool's approach to this life. Because this life is so temporary. We must live this life for the next. If you had nothing in this world but gained Christ, but gained Christ, that would be a win for you. Jesus himself says it this way, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? What I want you to do, church, I want you to evaluate and examine because just like dives, We live in America, and we have a lot. Even if you're sitting here going, I don't have a lot compared to so-and-so. No, I get it. We can always find someone who has more, but we have a lot. And we want to have more. We covet more. But instead, we need to love God and trust in his son, Jesus, 
while keeping his commands. It's, it's not enough to just say, God, I love you. We, we must live according to his word, according to his purpose. We, we must live like his son, Jesus. If you're not doing this, that, that's okay. You still have time to repent, time to change, time to turn to God and to renounce this way of living. Church, your place in eternity hangs in the balance. This is not a game. And so I pray, I pray, church, that in this life, as long as you have breath and have the opportunity to do so, you would choose what is best. You would choose Jesus in a life committed to his commandments, to his teaching, to his word, to a life given away for his glory. He would commit to that so that upon your death, you might receive your reward and hear those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I pray that we learn from the warning of Jesus that death is coming, that life eternal is available through his sacrifice, and that what separates those who will be with him for eternity and those who won't is what we do here in this life. That which we choose to believe in, the way in which we choose to live our life. I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would empower our faith, embolden our faith, those who have no faith, that they would place it in you. I pray that we would live our lives, not for ourselves, but for you. God, show us how, show us how. Give us your strength. We need it. It's in your name we pray, amen.